It's time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Here's your host, Andrew for America. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. It is time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. And, of course, I am Andrew for America. And today, I'm going to play a interview that I just did on the Welsh Republic podcast recently. I uh, had a great conversation. Talked about uh, America and Trump and libertarianism and Harry Brown and the George Floyd situation that occurred here in Murderapolis uh, a few years ago. And I, I kind of, in this interview, talk a little bit about... Um, what I saw go down and what I have seen occur here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, He kind of asked me some questions about the city I live in and what it was like to live here during the George Floyd situation. So you guys will hear that in this episode. Um, I don't know if you guys know about our local news as of late, but uh, we recently had shootings at the Mall of America. And then maybe two, three weeks after that, we had shootings at the big Minnesota State Fair, the great Minnesota get-together, we call it. Hundreds of thousands of people come from all over the place to visit every year. People got shot this year. People got shot at the Mall of America this year. People have been getting shot in the streets for a while in here in Murderapolis. And it's sad. I'm glad I live out west in the western suburbs. I'm glad I can get out of the city and into the country pretty quickly if things go south. Only reason I'm here is because of my family. And so, I don't know, people. I don't know if I'm going to be living here forever. We'll see. But uh, let's get it going today. Uh, I'm going to start with this interview I did on the Welsh Republic podcast. And probably about four or five episodes after my episode, uh, they had Larry Sharp on, libertarian candidate for, I think, governor of New York. And I would love to have him on my show. So, uh, Larry Sharp, open invitation. (laughs) I would love to have a conversation with you here on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Uh, But anyway, I digress. Here we go. Let's knock out an Anchor commercial. And when I come back, I'm going to play for you my most recent interview uh, that I did. I think it was episode 50 of the Welsh Republic podcast. I'll be right back. people welcome back here we go here is episode 50 of the welsh republic podcast and then after i play this for you i'm going to play a band from here in murderapolis minnesota called murder curious they reached out to me and uh, asked if i could feature them on the show and since i decided to do a show where i'm kind of talking about murderapolis today I'm going to play Murder Curious, a couple of their tracks uh, at the end of the show today. So here we go, episode 50 of the Welsh Republic podcast. We'll grab a beverage, strap on your seatbelt, 
It's going to be a hell of an episode, people. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Welsh Republic podcast, episode number 50 today. And I am here with my guest, Andre for America. How are you doing today, mate? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate the invite. You know, what have you been up to today? Anything much, mate? Uh, not much. I uh, had a day off. I uh, posted a recent uh, or posted one of my newest episodes today on strategy and, re- uh, and reality part one. So you can go listen to that on all your favorite podcatchers and uh, politics and punk rock podcast dot com. So mm-hmm. we we were before the pre-show, we were just talking about that, how Donald Trump, you know, a lot of people seem to say that is he a person for the people? Did he do a good job? But you mentioned some good things about his his connection to Freemasonry and like the Illumin the elite and his. A lot of people say that he's different from Clinton and you know Bush and stuff. Would you like to clarify what the episode was about and what you, things you learned from studying more of that? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm, I'm I'm in the middle of a two part series where um, I don't want to give away the second part because it hasn't aired yet, but uh, I basically bring up the question. Uh, and I kind of go down different tangents with it and just kind of play with the idea of was Trump now that we've had four years of Biden or almost four years of Biden, um, the, the grand effort to get Trump out of office obviously succeeded. Uh, and now a lot of people I think are looking at the Biden presidency and they're saying to themselves, you know, if I had the opportunity to do it all over again, regardless of your party affiliation, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, whatever you identify, however you identify yourself. Um, I think that a lot of people have buyer's remorse <laughs> with Biden. And I think that uh, some Biden voters might actually, you know, they may or may not admit it, but I think if you put it to them like, hey, if you had the chance to do it all over again, would you have voted for Trump? Some of them might have said, yeah. And so anyway, so I float the question on my recent, most recent episode. Uh, was Trump and is Trump the anomaly from the establishment, big club, uh, people we've had in there in the past, from the Bush dynasty to Clinton? They're on the same team. They're friends. Obama, same deal. You know what I mean? And with such the just the veracity and how much the media and Hillary Clinton and just every people that are anti-Trump, the the push to demonize the guy and get him out of there, I, I think it looks and smells like fear. They're afraid of the guy. And so it, I just like to I like to play with the idea. Like, is he really in the big club with is he one of them, just one of the gang, or is he really trying to be something different and offer the American people something away from the establishment uh, presidents we've had in the past 15, 20 years. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. How I look at it is Trump, I feel in his first two years, he did a very good job. He did a very good job when it, making, when it came to making peace deals in the Middle East and in, you know, the in north korea and at the end of the day he didn't do enough to fight the federal reserve he didn't do enough to fight big tech he bailed out a lot of the big farmers he bailed out a lot of the big banks which he should have been against and there was that meeting he had with carl swab which was very very weird you know 
with the World Economic Forum, and he praised Carl Swab as a very good person, which was very weird. I do, Jerry, pardon me. I do glad, yep, yep. was a guy who was against the elite, but he wasn't like someone like Ron Paul. If Ron Paul was the president in 2016 or 2012, I think what Ron Paul would have done is, in his first year, he would have gone after the Federal Reserve, he would have gone after the big banks, he would have gone after this. So I think, in a way, Donald Trump didn't know as much as like Ron Paul did. Trump knew the corruption was there, but he wasn't like Ron Paul. The difference is with Ron Paul is Ron Paul has known this shit since 1980. He's known the corruption. He's seen stuff that is just unbelievable. So I think if Trump had been like Ron Paul, if he really was fully anti-establishment, he would have absolutely, he would have gone nuclear. He would have gone against, well, not, not like attack a country by a nuclear bomb, what I'm saying, right. but he would have gone like crazy. He would have like taken down the banks, the Federal Reserve and the elitist. But I mean, like, and especially when Donald Trump was running in his, in his time in office, when he was actually running in his campaign, he was saying, America first, this and that, you know, guns are protected, but yet he does red flag laws. He does gun checks, which is very unconstitutional. And he never really criticized all the police brutality that happened, which is very, very unacceptable and not right. You know, so at the end of the day, it's just crazy, you know? Yeah, it's uh, he said some very interesting things uh, at the World Economic Forum where he in that famous shot where he's standing next to Klaus Schwab, he said, uh uh, the most important people in the world, quote unquote, are meeting here. The biggest companies in the world, the the best, most important people. Like he he it, it, he gave me the idea. That's where I first started wondering. Like, you know, are you on this team? Are you just kind of playing the game, or you know, do you really believe all this stuff? Like, or do you see yourself as one of this new bourgeoisie aristocrat uh, class? that is growing around the world and do, you know, can, can those people that live at that level even relate to the common working person anymore? And, you know, lots of questions, you know, a lot, everything you said is absolutely right. Like he did do some good things, but he also did some questionable things. And I think that every president uh, can be described in that way. They do some good things. They do some bad things. You know, we're all human beings still at the end of the day. So we're fallible creatures. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, a lot of people are flocking away from uh, left-wing media here in the States and are flocking to right-wing media. And uh, I think that if Trump has uh, it decides to run, the Mar-a-Lago thing's only going to help him. And I think that, uh, you know, before oh, yeah, he even if he... announced, he was the perfect – they, they were saying that he was the front-runner before he even announced. Yep. So I think he has a very, very good chance of winning it again. If the Republicans really want to win, they should get DeSantis because if DeSantis comes in, he would – Trump I, would probably win maybe depending – but if DeSantis ran in 2024, bro, he would – Oh, man, his resume Kamala is Harris. fantastic. Because Kamala yeah. Harris – of course, we all know Kamala Harris is going to replace Biden because Biden is just like – God bless him though, man. I mean, I much as Biden's a criminal and he's an awful guy – You've got to feel sorry for him. I mean, it's like elderly abuse at the moment, mate. You yeah. can't even walk straight, you know. Yeah, and just to let you bad. know, a lot of people say that Donald Trump was anti-war president. Yeah, he was anti-war president in a way, but you have to remember, he did help, you know, Saudi Arabia's fund, you know, the genocide of Yemen, of genocide of killing Yemens, which is the same thing Obama, Clinton, and Bush did. 
He bombed Somalia quite a lot of times. He actually, you know, bombed, you know, some of few Middle Eastern countries. He basically continued what Obama and Clinton did. Maybe not the same way as Obama and Clinton did, not as much as they did. But he, at the end of the day, he still, you know, did a lot of things, you know, which were just, you know. And I just saw a post yesterday by you by says that if the Nuremberg laws were applied, then every president would be hung, which is by Norm Natrosky. That's true. That's a true yep. fact. You know, it's like, you know, but the United States government, of course, is not going to listen to the Nuremberg trials because that doesn't deprive from, you know, the law. Speaking of that, Andrew, tell me about yourself. What led you to your road of becoming a libertarian? What woke you up and what do you do? Like, what is your show about? Um, okay. Yeah, that's a uh, couple of questions there. I'll take, I'll tackle the libertarian thing first. Um, I just started reading. So I was actually a sociology major in college. Uh, I graduated from San Diego state university in California with a bachelor's degree in sociology. And, uh, I lived in, uh, the liberal arts department, uh, during a time where, oh. Oh, there was that a must big push. Oh, I know. Oh, it, and, and, you know, and that's, and that's what I'm getting ready to say is that I got, I have an insider's unique perspective in that uh, from that frame of reference, because that was what I did in college. And I got to see how that game operates within the university system. Uh, but during that time, I was lucky enough to pick up a book one day uh, entitled why government doesn't work by Harry Brown. And I read it start to finish, and that was my introduction to uh, the ideas of liberty. Uh, and then when the Ron Paul revolution came, uh, I, I felt that I had found my people. I felt like I had found my clan. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the philosophical aspect, you know, the non-aggression principle, the uh, big L, little L, you know, all, every every conversation that we all have, you know, there's different levels of libertarianism. There's a hundred different conversations that we all have about, you know, the, the you know, the ins and outs of the specific aspects. Uh, I like to just kind of think of it as not such a uh, like a political party, but more uh, a set of philosophies and ideas and a way of thinking. And when I look at the world and when I uh, describe my worldview, I like to look at it through the lens of liberty first. What can we do to give more choice to the sovereign individual? And maybe because group mind and group mentality and the collective with that brings very inherent flaws. And I think that in order for us to really get to the heart of what we all want, we need to restrict the hive mind and the herd mentality and we need we need to empower people with enlightenment principles and give them the tools to be able to process the world and make their own decisions for themselves without being told or forced by some leviathan level out of control gigantic government uh so that's how i became a libertarian or that's how i started thinking in a lib from a liberty minded viewpoint i would say because I'm not a big fan of labels. I'm a, I'm a Thomas Sowell guy. Uh, and then uh, for my podcast, so I was a punk rock uh, musician, uh, guitar player, singer, vocalist, songwriter for many, many years out in California after I got out of the military. I, was, I served in the Navy for four years. I was an operations specialist uh, stationed in San Diego. That's how I got out there. 
Uh, and then went to college and started touring around, playing in numerous bands over time, uh, reading, reading, reading. I was a, I've always been a voracious reader. And then uh, moved back to Minnesota to be closer to family and started to uh, think about, uh, you know, entrepreneur entrepreneurialism a little bit. I didn't want to, I'm a bartender by trade. I, I, I don't want to do that forever. I will do it forever because I love it, but I also wanted to do something else. So I started thinking, well, what can I make money at selling what I'm good at? And what I'm good at is music and reading and thinking and talking. So I kind of put the two together and I created the politics and punk rock podcast and I'm a year and a half in and uh, past 10,000 downloads uh, seems to be uh, off and running uh, in the right tra trajectory. So I'm very excited. And um, I'm excited to start getting out there and promoting the show and guesting on other people's podcasts. So, again, I appreciate the invite. Thanks for having me. That's very, very cool, dude, that you're starting like a podcast. When you were reading that libertarian, you know, book that you were reading that got you into the thing of libertarian beliefs, what was your favorite quote from that book that really, like, opened your mind and thought, wow, this is incredible? Like, favorite theory from that book and quote that just went um, I, I think I think just the general, you know, it's it's not really taught in schools, and um, learning things that weren't taught from an uh, you know a top down authoritarianism like this is the curriculum and this is the right way to think and this are the things you need to know, kind of thing. Um, I, I'm a huge critic of education, and so that book kind of opened my eyes to both the aspects of, hey, you know, not everything education does is always good. And maybe there's a better way than the established way. And then I also thought, started thinking the same way about government. You know, the title of the book is Why Government Doesn't Work. And Harry Brown talks a lot about the failures of bureaucracy. And, and you know, he talks about the wealth of nations. He talks about Milton Friedman, uh, just all, all of the uh, tenets of understanding economics and understanding what a free market is and what um, governmental intervention into markets, what it does, what the effects that it has, uh, the intentions versus the results of government programs. I, I had never really thought about that kind of stuff about, you know, we're taught, it's drilled in our heads as Americans that, you know, the government is your best friend. They're doing what's best for you. These are uh, affluent, um, smart, hardworking people that are doing what's best for you. And, you know, you're really not taught and given the tools through the education system, through the media. No one's teaching you the things you need to know in order to be an American, in my opinion. Civics is gone. Nobody really teaches the Constitution. The, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers aren't in, assigned in schools. Like, Americans don't even know what it means to be an American. And uh, that book is what first started me thinking about those type of concepts, that maybe the authority isn't always right. So, Yeah, I think we should always, you know, question authority, and we should always see what's wrong. Speaking of authority, 
one topic that I've noticed that's becoming really popular, especially with the IRS, you know, 87,000 new members and the FBI raid of Trump and like oh, everyone's saying that the FBI should be disbanded, especially when Republicans said the FBI is actually a good organization and people said back the blue. And you just mentioned to me that you live in what, what is it again in the United States? You lived in. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minneapolis, which is the heart yep. of the George Floyd thing. What right. is your thoughts on back the blue movement? And have you seen any incidents of police brutality that you just thought this is insane? Why is this allowed, etc.? Uh, yeah, so there's I, I mean, I understand uh, the need for law enforcement and uh, I would back back the blue uh, from the perspective, only from this perspective, that if they were just upright, decent people doing the right thing, protecting and serving, uh, like it's written on the side of their vehicles, like they're supposed to be doing, right? Um, if we lived in a world where it was, you know, like, I know that that's a hard job. You know, they don't get paid enough. I know that they have to go out there and risk their lives. You know, you can see the positive. Again, we go back to the there's positives and negatives of everything. And I understand that the job is hard. But I've also heard stories that certain police departments seek out people that are kind of aggressive and they're looking for a, a certain archetype of person. Uh, you know, there's there's rampant stories about misconduct and planting evidence and corruption and you know, it's, we're all human, you know, there, there's never going to be a perfect system, no matter how you construct that system. And, you know, I feel bad for the police officers that have to go through very difficult things on the job and in their lives, the trauma that they have to see and try to bring home uh, and shut that off and come back home and be a family person. It can't be easy, you know, so I can see it from that aspect, but I also know <laughs> Uh, I mean, the police union in Minneapolis protects piece of crap police officers. That is a fact. And I think it happens more often than people realize. And I think it is the responsibility of good cops to flush out the bad ones and be courageous enough to kick, you know, the assholes given the force of bad name out of these police departments and I know that takes courage, and I, I know that they're probably risking their jobs to do that. But that is the moral just thing to do if you want people to respect you and if you don't want to lose the public's trust, because that's what's happening. This police brutality, they're starting to lose the public trust, and sooner or later the public is going to come after these cops every time they try to do routine traffic stops. And that's going to be the beginning of the end uh, of civilization quote unquote, whatever that word means. So it's tough. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying, I just wanted to find out, have you seen any police brutality movements or incidents, incidents where you just thought, what is this police officer doing? Like, have you ever seen one live in real life before? Um, I, I mean, you see questionable stuff from time to time. Um, downtown, downtown Minneapolis, uh, had a rough patch there for a while. A lot of businesses moved out. Target headquarters moved out of downtown. Those few years after the George Floyd situation happened, it was very rough. Uh, 
a lot of gang-related crime, carjackings, um, a lot of theft, petty theft, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of people getting approached, leaving the nightclubs and stuff at night. So uh, it was very tough for business downtown. Um, personally, I, I've seen a couple stops where um, if somebody tried to run, they got roughed up pretty good. You know, if you if you obey, if you're under arrest and you don't try to, you know, whatever, run away or if you're lipping off too much, um, you know, cops are human. One of them is going to snap at some point and they have to, you know, that's their challenge. They have to learn to keep it cool and it's business. It's nothing personal. Uh, but there's also obviously people that are looking for it. There's clearly cops that are out there purposely getting enjoyment out of roughing people up and you know that's it's a fact there's no two ways about it like that's just how it is some some of them are good some of them are evil and we just i think as a society need to hope and pray that we're putting good you know good cops in there and we're giving them the tools and um the institution is there to support good behavior and not protect bad behavior and you know, I don't know for sure if we could confidently say that bad behavior is isn't being protected and covered up. You know, there are good police officers. There are always good police officers. Oh, absolutely, in the right way. Absolutely, but it's not their it's not their fault. The system, you know, especially when it says in two thousand and five, where George W. Bush wrote an executive order that the police are not there to constitutionally protect you. I mean, it's not I right. I was just going to bring that up. Yep. yep. And speaking of that. You were also like basically in the in the heart of the George Floyd riots. What was that like at the time when you were seeing all the rioting going on and just the it, craziness? It uh, it looked like a third world country. Uh, it was there was caved in buildings everywhere. Police or uh, the police, uh, I think it was third precinct was uh flaming and they had a whole perimeter blocked off down there um the saddest thing i saw was there were businesses on city streets that had apartment buildings above them and there was people that boarded up those uh windows on the street level and i think some of the residents that lived above had literally uh, literally spray painted over the the wood boards that were covering up the windows, please don't burn people live upstairs. And that was the scariest part that there's people that lived upstairs that were looking down at just bedlam going on and were probably afraid for their lives. Very, very afraid for their lives. And it, it was, it was, it was sad to see, but the public outpouring uh, of the, you know, they, painted a George Floyd mural and everyone brought flowers and uh, the, the local community in that neighborhood, uh, you know, put art pieces up and decorated. And like I said, they made murals down there and uh, they have an annual celebration um, or not whatever, like a, like a vigil kind of thing every year in honor of the event. And so some good positive things did come out of it, but um you know, there's a lot of conspiratorial people, a lot of conspiratorial ideas, too, about um, there were, you know, bricks set up on the street really weirdly in certain areas of the town. Like, 
I don't want to, you know, I don't know if it was a George Soros level psyop or whatever. There's a lot of people talking about that kind of thing. I, I think that might go a little too far. Um, but I did see people directing other people in the streets. That uh, was the most questionable thing I think I witnessed personally was um, there was it, there in certain areas. It looked like there was a coordinated effort going on in the streets. Who was behind that effort? I have no idea. Uh, but there was organized Co, uh, cooperative efforts that were premeditated occurring all over the city, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Wow. Did what was the craziest incident you saw during those riots? Were you like, oh my god, get away, run away? Yeah, there just there was people throwing stuff everywhere. Uh, there, it was just destruction, vandalism. Um, a couple buildings got burnt down. Uh, there's. There was a uh, gas station across the street from this bowling alley that's uh, right in the uptown area of Minneapolis that was just burnt and caved in. And every time you drove by it, it was just such an eyesore until they tore it down. Um, It was like this constant reminder every time you drove through that part of the city, like how bad it was after the fact. So um, I know that, you know, the media probably covered it in certain ways, but. Uh, there were peaceful protests that went on that day that were, you know, silent groups of people with their fists in the air kind of thing. And it wasn't violent. So uh, there was peaceful protests going on as well. Uh, so, yeah, it was interesting. There, again, you know, there's the good parts and there's the bad parts of everything. So. Mm-hmm. So with the mini, is it the Minneapolis police force that you're saying? Mm-hmm. Apart from the George Floyd case, what is the dodgiest scandal that you've ever seen that they've ever had against them before? Uh, a lot of it's police brutality. A lot of it's racism. Uh, they're uh, notoriously, um, th- like, I, I think that they have a reputation for being kind of racist against African-American people. Uh, there's a part of Minneapolis uh, called North Minneapolis, the north side of the city that uh, is supposed to be, you know, the rough part of town. They tell you don't go out in the streets at night in that area kind of deal. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure there's a lot of real crime going on that that the cops have to deal with. But um, I forget the guy's name, but there's a guy who leads the police union here in Minneapolis that has for years and years and years been accused of being a rampant racist and um people i think tried to come after him legally and try to get him removed and maybe even brought charges against him uh i don't know that uh those stories in detail specifically but i've just heard that uh it's kind of like a consensus idea that you overhear throughout the city uh, when people talk about the police and when people were talking about the police, uh, there's people uh, during the George Floyd, during those events that had signs that were demonizing this police uh, union leader, uh, whatever the police chief's name was, I forget his name, but um, yeah. So you hear about it all the time in Minneapolis. You you hear about it from every, from all walks of life, white, white people, black people, you know, every, all every shape and size people are like, wow, man, I heard this. Have you heard this story? Did you hear that the Minneapolis police did this? Did you hear this? And, you know, we've heard about it. I mean, the George Floyd thing was just one incident. We had a cop that shot uh, 
you know, that white uh, female, I think Mohammed Noor was his name. We had that mm-hmm. very public trial that had to do with our police department here in Minneapolis. So uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that uh, doesn't look good that uh, has happened for Minneapolis police. So do you think George Floyd was killed unjustifiably? And do you think it was bad? What happened to him? Uh, well, it was clearly bad what happened to him. Um, I don't think, I don't think it was premeditated. Uh, I think if it was premeditated, then it was probably due to the previous relationship that Chauvin had, Derek Chauvin had with this guy. I heard yeah, story, yeah, I know. Hey, that was heard a, weird, wasn't it? Yeah, I heard a story somewhere that they worked together at a nightclub close by back in the day, and they had personal maybe beef prior to that. So maybe, you know, maybe that maybe Chauvin, when he arrested him that day, he knew who he was and he was going to stick it to him. Who knows? Like there could have been a whole lot of coincidental backstory. Uh, but when you look at George Floyd's history, I mean, the guy wasn't a saint. <laughs> you oh, know what I'm saying? Not. He, he was not, that. he wasn't a pillar of the community by any means. So or by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, you probably had a, a, a bad guy cop dealing with maybe a bad guy citizen. Maybe they had prior beef with each other through business dealings or whatever uh, at that club. I, I heard that they both were into some shady stuff. So, you know, it could have been the, the product of a lot of storylines that were happening at simultaneously behind the scenes. And we all just got to see the manifestation of it in real life in real time and uh it's going to be a memorable experience very symbolic for many years to come for sure mm-hmm. are you a bit worried that at some point in the next few years there's going to be something even worse where it's going to cause civil unrest in the united states and do you feel like the united states is getting very close to civil war uh yes i do for a number of reasons uh ron paul uh, said it himself. He said the stage is being set for violence in America. He said it multiple times. Uh, and uh, I recently saw there was a military veteran guy, forget his name, was on the Tim Pool show. And he was making a comment about the elections coming up and how um, there's already rumblings going on of of Civil unrest, yeah. There was civil, a, yeah, they, of, they of said it was trying, a survivor who predicted, uh, like a survivor expert, you know. Right, right, and 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 the, he had a pretty good explanation about how it what it it it, it was, it's going to look like it, and it'll be um, sold to the people through the media as, you know, like because all you need to do is have a little skir- couple skirmishes uh, break out where you got the cameras rolling. And you can make a small little localized event seem like a, t- a citywide, you know, breakdown of society. So who knows how they're going to spin it and portray it if it really does come to that. But I think uh, if you're a, if you're kind of in tune with the spiritual side of things uh, or if you're a religious person and uh, you look at the events, uh, I think you could make the case that there's a lot of evidence pointing in the direction of some type of uh, big event may be on the horizon. And uh, the more people talk about it, and especially the more that the fear porn is just pumped out about it through the media, 
it's almost like you know alchemy they're kind of like bringing the stuff into existence the more you talk about it the more people believe stuff and it's it's scary scary time in america right now mm -hmm. it is a pretty crazy time you know and i really think that maybe you know the only way that america could save itself is a separation of states you know like i think maybe it's time you know how, how do you feel for your state you know what does the future for your state look like and do you think it's now just a third world hellhole now just like because you look at some of these left-wing states in the united states and they just look like dumps man it's just incredible like that country ever since the federal reserve was created in 1913 and the purchasing power of the u.s dollar and once they eat, once China overtakes USA as the economy, even if it might or not, I'm telling you, United States is going to get hit for financially hard. Oh yeah, it's that's 100 percent uh, the case. China already owns so many of our bonds. I think that uh, uh, if they partner with Russia, and uh, obviously the World Economic Forum is their brainchild uh, in many ways. Uh, I think that we may be looking at the planned uh, destruction of America. I know uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was quoted as saying that America is a golden calf. They're going to sell it off piece by piece. Uh, and then they're going to create the greatest welfare state the world has ever seen that they're going to control every aspect of. And uh, I think you can make the case that with AI and augmented reality and the metaverse, uh, the Matrix might be on its way for the American people. They might be on uh, their way to plugging us right into virtual reality and the digital landscape will be primary. The physical landscape will be secondary. And sooner or later, we're going to become batteries for the machines if Civil War doesn't break out first. <laughs> well, I um, just to clarify something, I do think the CPP are definitely a part of the global elitist. I don't 100%. think... Hundred percent. I, I um. Well, how I look at it, I do think the CPP are, but I think you've got to remember because I think there's a lot of countries who are a part of the new world order, but they have their own agendas. So the thing is, China sure. have their elite, but they have their own elite. So maybe they do want the what? Because here's the thing: if the United States gets affected economically, the Federal Reserve is going to get affected, and the global elitists are going to get buggered by the loss of the Federal Reserve. You know, active. 19 of the, the federal reserve you know going down so i think for when it comes to russia no i don't think russia's a part of the elite because you've got to remember they kicked out a lot of their bankers they yeah. despise the you know the european union they despise as putin is against the new world order whether you agree with that or not he hates yep. you know like the corporatism like russia right now if you think about it is one of the only countries the only countries that are against the new world order right now and that are really speaking against it and hate it are russia india Belarus, Serbia, Tunisia, Rwanda. Rwanda is another economically growing country, apparently, if you, you'll be amazed at their growth. Brazil, Bolivia, and Norway. Hungary, Hungary, yep, they're against it. Um, but yeah, these countries, and I, I think for the world's superpower, I kind of think, well, I don't think there's going to be a superpower in the world. I think it's going to be a more multipolar world, which is actually going to be a good thing, because if there's a multipolar world, Personally, I don't think China's going to be the world's superpower because I think China's got the ever-grade market, which is affecting them. For me, I feel like the world's superpower, United States is still going to be one of them because, dude, they're a strong nation. The United States will be one of them. I think we'll be up there, but I think the world's superpower will be Russia, 
India and also Brazil. I think those are going to be the top world free superpowers. And I think United States will be fourth and fifth. Yeah, I think Russia's strong. Uh, I think that the fact that the rubles uh backed by gold is going to definitely help them uh, when <laughs> from a currency economic uh, standpoint. And uh, obviously, uh, NATO is and, uh, you know, NATO member countries are putting some pressure on. And I think that Putin's pushing and back. And they're losing, dude. The, they're yeah, losing yeah. big time, man. You know, it's really like I'm telling you, dude, you know, like Russia, dude, a lot of Americans are moving to Russia. I just did an interview of a <laughs> American who lives in Russia. And I'm telling you, dude, Russia has economic potential, just like India. 100%. You know, if, if, if you look at India right now, look at Brazil. So India and Brazil right now, they're countries that are kind of starting off small. If you give India and Brazil 30 more years, if India and Brazil keep going the way they are, they are getting better. And the thing is, if you compare, the problem is a lot of Western people like to think that India is a third world dump. No, there are some areas in India which are very rich. They're very well developed. It's like Brazil. There are some very nice areas. There are some very lovely areas. And I feel like Brazil and, and same thing with Belarus and same thing with Serbia. And same thing with like Tanzania, Rwanda, very shitty areas, but very good. I think if these countries keep going the way they are in the, in the next 30 years, keep out the global elitists, these countries are going to be economic superpowers. And I think like the tilt of the world, I wouldn't say the tilt of the world is the, the world dominance. I wouldn't say is heading more to China because I, I think China, you know, might end up doing what the United States does. China might end up splitting like into three countries like southeast china whatever you know that but i think you know japan south korea and i and i also think that um these countries i mentioned are going to be the economic powerhouses of the world going forward as for the uk well dude the uk is still a rich country because they're they're like the the hope of the you know the financing sector you know i think the whole of western europe is going to go to shit but i think the uk will still be fine they may say they're poor but dude they control all the world sectors you know but 100%. hey you know it i think not going world, anywhere <laughs> well the crown I, will prevail <laughs> i i think that united states do you gotta remember the united states has a lot of power it has a lot of now this is what i'm talking about economically United States may not be the world's most powerful country economically, but culture-wise, I still think it's going to be the most powerful country in the world culture-wise. I still think that, you know, what I think what's going to happen is maybe in the United States, they will have 20 years. And look, maybe America will come back to, will come back, you know, maybe we will have something and America will turn together. But I do think there will be a succession of states. And I think when that happens, Texas, Florida, and yeah, get what I mean, pretty much become their own countries, you know? America is pretty much the new Soviet Union, as someone says. <laughs> uh, in in some ways, that is true for sure. And um, there's already rumblings of that. Uh, I know, definitely among the liber- liberty minded communities, um, a secession of states or uh, like a new constitutional convention uh, kind of thing. People are talking about uh, how would we go about doing that and. How would we break up certain areas? Because that's the thing is like 
uh, you know, European countries are the size of American states. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of different culture, a lot of different, um, you know, the dialects change uh, from coast to coast and in the middle of the, the nation. Like it, to think that government can control that many people spread out that far uh I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of federalism. Like, I think that the state's rights are very important. I, I feel like we should have many small experiments going on at the same time so that we can see what works and doesn't work versus one giant experiment at the federal level going on. And if something goes south, it affects everybody, not just a small group of people that live in one state. So um, I, I would if we're not going to break up the 50 states in the United States um, or, or, or create new regions of Commonwealth or whatever, uh, cooperatives of states, I think we need to maybe just give states more um, deciding power. I think the state governments and legislatures should not have that federal you know, that fear of the federal government looming at all times where they can come in and just, you know, undercut all of your decisions. And, you know, maybe that's a pipe dream. I don't know. You know, if I'm an idealist. I like to think that, you know, there's there there are ideas that, you know, maybe their time has come. How, how do we get there? Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see because people are getting fed up and people are getting smarter and more politically aware in the United States, um, than ever before, than ever before, than ever before is what for sure. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what people decide to put together. Mm -hmm. So before we finish up, Andrew, is there anything else you would like to say? Oh, um, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm down to plug my podcast. <laughs> That's okay. Sure. You can share um, it. Sure. You can share where people can follow you. Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram, Andrew for America. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can look me up. Facebook, um, a lot of different uh, social media sites. Uh, my website is politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Um, you can go there, buy a T-shirt, or donate to the show. Uh, I am one of the newest podcasts on altmediaunited.com, a podcast cooperative. Uh, that I highly recommend everybody go check out. A lot of great podcasters in the cooperative. And uh, I also recently, uh, for the musicians and the punk rock fans out there, uh, I recently was given permission by uh, an, a record label called Allegedly Records uh, here in the States, a young upstart record label to, uh, I can play any of the music in their catalog on the show. So we kind of have a mutual partnership now to where uh, I'm going to plug their bands uh, and their musicians on my podcast and uh, really excited about that. So if you like politics and you like punk rock, uh, come check out my show. I'd always uh, appreciate more listenership. So, yeah. Thank you very much, Andrew, for joining my show today. Thanks for the invite, man. I appreciate it. And I just want to say to everybody, thank you for joining Welsh Republic podcast episode number 50. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. God bless you all. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on my show. Peace. All right, people, that's it. Uh, hope you liked that interview. It was a great conversation. I hope the Welsh Republic uh, invites me back at some point. And uh, if you can help me get Larry Sharp on my show, that would be even more awesome. So, all right, people, it's time. Once again, on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast.
to play some grungy, bluesy, punk rock. Alright people, it's time to play some punk rock. And this band is from, is from right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Making their debut on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Here's Treble, Kev the Kid, and Disco Davey, otherwise known as Murder Curious, with their song... Not essential.
right, people. That was the song Not Essential by the band Murder Curious. And that song they have up on their band camp page. Go check it out. Uh, They have another song up there called Thoughts and Prayers. And I'm going to play that track for you right now. So here we go with their second song entitled Thoughts and Prayers. Here's Murder Curious one more time with their song Thoughts and Prayers. Isn't 
right, people, that's the show for today. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt or donate to the show. If you want to, send me an email if you want to get your band on the show. If you have an idea for a show that I should do, send me an email, andrew4america1984 at gmail.com. People, I love you guys. Take care of each other out there. Uh, Try to find the silver lining. Try to stay positive. For you. For me. For all of us. Thank you for listening. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 110 of the Politics of Punk Rock podcast entitled Murderapolis. We'll see you next time.